From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. All right, here we are rocking it for the Automotive ADHD Show. My name is Matt West, and I am here today to talk to you about cars. Of course, this I am the resident gearhead, and this is the resident car show, I suppose. And uh, this is, you know, this is an interesting weekend. Uh, this is Super Bowl weekend that I'm recording this on. Yes, football. And uh, yeah, I am recording this before the game, so if you are listening to this, after the game, then go Bengals. And if they lost, um, go Rams. <laughs> there we go. I think those are football teams. You know, football, that's the one um, that's the one with the stick, right? Oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, now that half of the audience has angrily tuned out of the program, let's talk about cars. I got a packed show today. Tons of different things. I'm uh, going to talk about more out-of-control auction prices. Uh, there's new artificial intelligence being used to control traffic lights, which is cool. And that actually benefits you and me, and it benefits the traffic lights as well. So going to talk about that. And, of course, Toyota, not secretly one of my favorite car companies, uh, is committed to keeping the manual transmission even if they have to go electric they're going to keep it, which is good, because that's my biggest complaint about electric cars isn't the torque, it isn't the power, it's the fact that they're soulless and there's no involvement with the driver. But we're going to talk about that, also going to talk about why the manual transmission might face some other challenges, even aside from electric cars. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that, and of course I do want to uh, also debunk a viral video showing a Tesla beating a Jeep up an icy hill, and I'm going to tell you why that video, you may have seen it, why it is completely and utterly rigged against the Jeep and the dude performing the test, let me say it politely, he didn't know what he was doing. That's the most polite way I can say that. But anyway, ladies, gentlemen, Toyota Siennas, let's talk about something else entirely different, which is buying gas in bulk. And I, I looked this up on a whim. Like I wasn't even planning on doing this on the show um, and, uh, I, I was, I was, <laughs> let me get this out. I was, I was laying in bed doing as I do my show prep, you know, clearly when I'm going to sleep. No, I was, uh, just sitting there kind of thinking, you know, Hey, so a lot of people buy stuff at these big wholesale grocery stores, uh, Sam's club, Costco, you know, just to name a few. And they buy food and cans and things in bulk, which is honestly not a bad idea, especially, uh, if you live in a wintry state. It's not a bad idea to have some extra food on hand. So then I thought, why can't I just go to Costco and buy a 55-gallon drum of gasoline? Why can't I do that? Why do I have to go to the gas pump and fill up my own gas cans? So I, I started looking into this. I started looking into it, and it turns out it's actually pretty hard to buy gasoline in bulk and isn't really all that cost-effective in doing so. Uh, so I, I started Googling this, and I looked at a bunch of different wholesalers, um, and most of them sell gasoline. You can buy it bulk. I'm not saying you can't do this, but I'm saying it's maybe not a good idea, and definitely not as good of an idea as I thought. I was like, you know, man, I, I'll buy gasoline in bulk. I, I have a bunch of cars. I burn a bunch of gas. Why can't I just buy this in bulk and keep it at home and save some money? Clearly, normally buying wholesale saves you money. That's like the whole point of Sam's and Costco and those other other stores uh, like that. And, uh, well, a lot of these um, gasoline 
uh, wholesale places have a 150-gallon minimum purchase amount, which isn't actually all that terrible when you think about it, but... They don't just sell them, at least the ones I found, in 50-gallon drums. You can't just buy three 50-gallon drums, have it dropped off on your porch. You know, No, you can't do that. You have to have a lot of these places want you to have gas storage on site wherever you are at. Now, this makes sense if you are a fleet operator for a uh, number of cars or trucks um, and you have gas on site so you can fill up your vehicles at your work site or your distribution center where you send the vehicles out you can fill it up there that makes a lot of sense but if you're just a you know if you're just if you're like me and you're just a car guy you're at home with your 16 cars or whatever uh, that litter your front yard and whatnot my neighbors love me by the way <laughs> but anyway um, you know, you're, this isn't going to work as well. So these wholesalers want you to have gas storage on site, like I mentioned, uh, and they are going to bring a fuel truck there and fill your gas tank. Again, not just dropping off barrels of gas. Now, if you actually know where I can just buy a 55-gallon drum of uh, gasoline, or is it 50 gallons? 55, 50? I don't know. There's fives in it. But anyway, if you know where I can do that, maybe I missed it. You got you to gotta let me know on the, uh, the Facebook page, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. But I also did some of the math about the cost of this. And I even went as far to get an estimate from one of said wholesalers on... Um, 150 gallons of gas, and I got different estimates on 150, uh, 300 gallons, and 1,000 gallons. And surprisingly, the price of the gas didn't change like at all. It was still the same amount per gallon. You would think wholesale, the more you buy, the more of a discount you get uh, if you buy in even greater quantities of bulk. But that's not necessarily true. And it came out for a premium, 91 octane, end up, ended up being about $4 a gallon. And that's about going rate at a gas station where I'm at here in Colorado. Um, gas here is not as cheap as it is in fantastic places like Texas and Florida, where gas is a lot cheaper, but it's it's moderately expensive here. We're, we're by no means California. I did a whole episode, by the way, uh, of this show about why gas prices are going up and the whole reasoning behind that. It gets a little political, but it's really interesting. You should definitely check that out. Scroll through your podcast feed and you will find that episode. It's a few months old now, but trust me, it's just as relevant. Um, now, that said, um, $4 a gallon for 91, and it ended up being about three seventy-five for dollars um, uh, 85 octane. Uh, and uh, again, that's like literally retail price here. And I would have to buy a ton of it. So it just, I did the math. It didn't work out very well, but there's even another reason why you shouldn't necessarily buy in bulk. If you're a car guy like me and you have a million cars and you just want to have gas at home and save money buying in a bulk. So firstly, you don't set, end up saving any money. Secondly, uh, letter, letter B option two, um, is, it doesn't actually make sense if you don't use all that gas within a few months. Uh, modern gasoline, especially gasoline that has uh, a percentage of ethanol in it, usually like 10% ethanol, maybe a little bit less depending on where you are. Uh, sometimes even sold as like E15, E10, whatever. Um, of course, it's not as good as E85, which is 85% ethanol, but whatever. Um, that said, uh, that ethanol doesn't have a very good shelf life. Uh, gasoline with ethanol content in it is not very stable over a long period of time. Uh, if you have any sort of uh, four-stroke lawnmower or maybe a dirt bike or any sort of power sports type of piece of equipment, you know that after you let it sit all winter, if you let the gas sit in that tank, it's going to 
Um, you know, coming around spring, you know, when you start it up, it's going to gum up your carburetors, your fuel injectors, whatever. But it's going to be, it's not going to work very well. And that's why fuel stabilizers exist. So it doesn't make sense to have 150 gallons of gas on site when you only use about 30 gallons, say, in a month. If you're driving a lot, you know, you're going through one or two gas tanks, you know, commuting to work a month, maybe three, maybe four. Even then, you would still, in order to get any value out of this, have to use like 100 gallons a month. And again, if you're just the enthusiast like me and you got a bunch of cars, you can't honestly, I, I get this. People are like, why do you have so many cars? You can't drive them all at the same time. And, and that, that, that hits personally because <laughs> yes, you're right. I can't drive them all at the same time. And if I could, you bet I would do it. But anyway, the fact is I can't burn all this gas by myself and the gas would go bad before I could use it. So there we go. That this pipe dream idea that I had, I, I did the research and, um, I was like, I'll get gas and I'll, I'll have gallons of gas on, on site. I'll have my own tank. I'll fill up my own cars. I'll fill up my friend's cars. It'll be great. No, doesn't work that way. Actually ends up being literally the same price to go down to the gas station and go buy gas retail. That is frustrating to say the least. Now, obviously, if I was an actual gas station and I had an in with some of these wholesalers, you know, I wasn't just a third party purchasing from a wholesaler. I was actually, you know, a company who bought in bulk from them every single month, or maybe I'm a fleet operator, again, managing a fleet of work vehicles. I imagine that's where the discounts come in. I imagine that's where, you know, these sellers say, oh, you purchased 10,000 gallons of gas from us in the past three months. We're going to do it at this discounted rate. But as a enthusiast, can't say I'm there yet. Doesn't necessarily work. And I'm I'm very saddened by this. This I don't know. I don't know. It makes me disappointed. Uh, and, you know, what can I say? I need it, I don't know. It's a, it was a bad idea to start with. There you go. Now you know it was a bad idea. I spent 10 minutes here telling you why my bad idea was a bad idea. So, you know, I'm just uh, just doing my job here on the Automotive ADHD show, and uh, it's all good stuff at the end of the day. Now, I got a lot of other good things to hit on. I got a packed show. I got to keep moving on. In the next segment, I'm going to be talking about some questionable things I ran into on an auction site and why you definitely shouldn't buy them. Also, in the last segment of the show, I'm going to be debunking a viral video that seems to demonstrate why Teslas are better than other cars on ice, and it's totally wrong and misinformed, and uh, I'll tell you about that. It's coming up after this break. Did you know there's a rare but serious condition affecting one out of every million? Most are born with it. And despite decades of research, doctors struggle to find a cure. The truth is, thousands of people simply don't know what cars are. For those affected, things are grim, but recent developments show promising success. New clinical trials using breakthrough audio technology have shown a 69% improvement in patients with the most severe symptoms. Treatments vary, but one day we may see a cure. More information is available at ThrottleWarrior.com. There we go. That is Tim Preisinger's Chevy Nova, his other cammed Chevy Nova. A few weeks back, he sent in a car sound, and uh, that was his Chevy Nova with the cam. And this is also his Chevy Nova with the cam, but it's a different Chevy Nova. He has two of them. How cool is that? And you see, you see, that's what people do. They send me their car sounds, and then they can't get enough of it, and they send me more car sounds, which uh, that could be you, by the way. And uh, you can send your car sounds into Matt at ThrottleWarrior.com, or, of course, on the Automotive ADHD Facebook page. Got a lot of good stuff going on there. 
there. And uh, also, by sending your car sounds in, you will automatically be entered to uh, into a drawing that I do at the end of every single month to win a automotive ADHD keychain and a $25 gift certificate to your favorite auto parts store. You gotta send those car sounds in if you want to get entered. Now, hey, by the way, so I was talking about buying gasoline in bulk and why you shouldn't do it. And with all that money that you are saving by not buying in bulk, you should definitely not spend it on this. What I what I found at auction uh, just a little bit ago, a uh, Honda S2000. You see, I, I own a Honda S2000 out of many other broken cars. It hasn't moved off the jack stands in like three months now, but don't worry about it. Anyway, a cleaner Honda S2000 than mine just listed for sale at $150,000. Let that sink in. $150,000 for a Honda S2000, which is absolutely insane. Now, that does, that's not to say someone is actually buying it at this yet, but uh, it's listed at some exotic car dealership. Honda S2000 is not an exotic car. I hate to break that to you. It's a fun car. It is a great car. I love it dearly, but it's not it's it, it's not to be sitting there along with like Lamborghinis and and Ferraris. It's it's not the same thing. Um and uh, here's the crazy thing. So $150,000. So take this into account. You might say, "Oh, well there was inflation, you know, uh you know, money is is worth different amounts than what it was when the S2000 was new over 20 years ago now." And um well, to account for inflation, the S2000 back in its day was uh, this one was about $34,000 and in today's money that's only $44,000 brand new. Um and this one's $150,000. Uh, RP Exotics of St. Louis, Missouri, by the way. They are the fine people listing this $40,000 car for $150,000. Now you might be saying, "Oh, maybe it's special. Maybe it's special." No. Okay, the only thing special about it is it's low miles again. 800 miles. Like we keep seeing these low mile examples of these great cars. Uh and uh yeah, 800 miles. But that said, another one with not a whole lot of miles um, still very few miles sold for $70,000 not long ago. So these guys are clearly just trying to like bait the market and say, yeah, let's get someone to pay 150 for this. And then that'll make all of the other S 2000s we have that we haven't told anyone about worth 150 K as well. That's exactly what's happening right here. Uh, and it's not even, if you're a fanatic of S 2000s, you might say, well, maybe it's the CR S 2000, which the CR was the top trim model S 2000 you could have in the last a uh, couple years of its production. It had a couple of added features, different steering rack ratio, different suspension slightly, uh, a little wing on the back. Nah, I would say not anything super special. The hard top that came on the CRs was cool, uh, though you could get the hard top on like other S2000s as well. It's just the CR was kind of known for being a really kind of gutted out car, no soft top, hard top only. Uh, removable hardtop. So that's cool. But no, this isn't even the like extra rare CR version. Uh, think of the CR like the S2000 Type R. There was never a true Type R version of it, but that, it's kind of the same idea with the CR. It stands for Club Racer. But anyway, uh, the real crime here is that this S2000, 822 miles on the clock, was never driven. That's that's honestly the real crime. It's not that these guys think they can get 150k out of a 20-year-old clapped-out Honda. Well, this one's not clapped out, but <laughs> this much money from an old Honda. No, it's the crime that whoever had this car bought it and didn't drive it, and they didn't get to enjoy how amazing of a chassis the S2000 is. High-revving, 
four-cylinder. This one is a later model. It's an AP2, so it's got a slightly lower RPM limit, but that's okay. A little more, little more mid-range uh, torque, or more torque in the mid-range, rather. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, sure, am I one to talk about this? My car's been on jack stands for longer than I've had some other cars entirely, but don't worry about it. <laughs> it's fine. Forget stocks, by the way. Just buy used Japanese cars and then sell them for a ton of money and then make all your other used Japanese cars worth more money by gaming the market here. Don't don't actually do that. Um, though a better deal than this right now, on Bring a Trailer, uh, a pretty crispy mint, and it's, get this, it's a hot hatch, it's $2,200, showroom quality, from the 80s, manual transmission, four-cylinder, it's a 1989 Toyota Tercel. Oh, what a fantastic car. Anyway, much better deal than that S2000. This is a, like, showroom fresh Toyota Tercel, which, again, who who the heck is saving these cars? Like, who, who buys these, like, plebeian cars, like commuter cars, and then doesn't drive them? I don't know. This person did. Showroom quality. You can have a hot hatch. From the 80s, 2200 bucks. You know which one I would pick. Anyway, uh, that said, uh, speaking of Toyotas, uh, Toyota has come out, is being very committed to uh, the manual transmission. As you know, I am a fan of Toyotas. I now own three Toyotas, two slightly older than the other one, but uh, that's okay. And um, uh, I'm a big fan of the A86 chassis. Two of those are those, and one of them doesn't have an engine or a transmission, and don't worry about it. It's fine. Uh, but Toyota's... Um, uh, the the head of Toyota, Akio Toyoda, not Toyota, his actual last name is Toyoda, which is, he's actually part of the original founding family that founded Toyota. I guess the story goes they just, you know, wanted to make that easier for certain people to pronounce instead of Toyota. Anyway, it's Toyota. Toyota, Toyota. Anyway, uh, it's tomato, tomato. Toyota, Toyota. <laughs> anyway, um, so they have filed a patent for a new electric drivetrain that has a manual transmission option. Why? Because it's fun. That's why. Uh, no, no particular other reason. Like from a technical standpoint, electric cars do not need a manual transmission. They really don't. It doesn't really make them any more efficient. That's been proven uh, time and time again. Now, there are some electric cars that have two-speed gearboxes and some minor differences, but a traditional manual transmission doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You don't really need a clutch. But you know what? Toyota is doing it because they like it. And of course, Mr. Akio Toyota, uh, Toyota-san, he says uh, that this is something that they want to continue to work on. They want to continue making fun cars. Now, he is a car guy. Unlike a lot of presidents and CEOs of companies. He's an actual car guy. He does motorsports. He does racing. He does drifting. You know, he was a big force pushing behind the renewed Toyota uh, GT86 project, um, you know, when that was just coming out like 10 years ago. And of course, he was a driving force behind the new GR86. Of course, uh, Toyota's um, uh, kind of little uh, a project between them and uh, Subaru. Now, that said, uh, this is just a patent filing. It doesn't mean there's a car that's going to exist exist yet with it. I mean, a lot of manufacturers um, file patents just to be like, yeah, we, we did that first. We did it first. See, it's ours. It's ours. No one else do it. They may never actually build it, but they just kind of want to be down on paper as the ones who did that, or at least make sure no one else 
uses the idea. Now, Jeep did do something similar here. Um, the patent, by the way, for Toyota's drivetrain shows an electric motor, and it shows a gearbox with different gears, a clutch pedal, and a gear lever to select different gears in there. Now, they're not saying necessarily if that clutch pedal is a real clutch pedal. It might be a fly-by-wire clutch pedal going off of this, which is really weird, and I don't know how you would make that feel good, but hey, we got fly-by-wire throttles now. You never know. Um, and that might be the one thing, and that bring, that, that'll bring me to another point here in a bit. That, that might be the one thing that actually saves the manual transmission um, but I'll get into that in, two a sec in, in a second. Uh, Jeep did do something similar to this with their Magneto concept. They debuted uh, mid last year. I think I talked about it on like one of the very first episodes of this show. But um, it's a Jeep Wrangler with a electric motor where the regular gas engine would have been. And that electric motor is still connected to a manual transmission and a four wheel drive transfer case. Um, so it's not like having motors at each wheel. You just put one big motor where the engine would have been makes it for an easier swap. And it had a manual transmission. And they said that actually for a four wheeling aspect uh, for a four wheeling application gives you uh, more precision and control um, even in those really low speed type rock crawling scenarios, you can gear down, uh, though they did say for, um, like casual driving around town, you could just leave it in third gear, never touch the clutch and go about your whole life just in third gear without the clutch. It's again, we're talking electric motors. Having a manual transmission isn't necessary because electric motors make their peak power at all RPM ranges, essentially, whereas a gas engine is going to make its peak torque and its peak power at a certain RPM band, which is not going to be a good RPM for where you're starting out. You know, if you're just getting coming from a stop, that's why you have a gear reduction so that you can move from a stop at the peak power RPM. And then once you get up to higher wheel speeds, you change gears and bring that engine back into its peak operating uh, RPM. So that's one way that electric cars fundamentally differ than gas cars. But you know what? It's kind of pointless. Again, electric motors have a manual transmission. It's kind of pointless. And I don't care because damn it, it's cool. And I like that. <laughs> I like that. I like cool things. I like driver involvement. Now, my biggest worry with this, and I said I was going to get into this a little bit more too, is that the manual transmission isn't necessarily going to face its demise through electrification. I think there is a risk, I hope this doesn't happen, but I think there is a risk that it could be phased out long before that. I mean, it already is sort of phased out. Manual sales are really down compared to automatics, but um, safety technology, I think that's what's really going to put manufacturers uh, into a bind and make them decide whether or not to just completely... Um, put the manual transmission on the chopping block because as governments are starting to regulate more automated braking systems well if you've ever driven a manual you know that if you just completely grenade the brake pedal you dynamite the brakes like full hard stop and you come to a complete stop without pushing in that clutch pedal um, you're going to stall the engine and if you have an automated braking system that doesn't have some automated way of controlling the clutch pedal as well that's why toyota is thinking of using a fly-by-wire clutch for their new electric thing. Then again, you can't really stall an electric motor, so it's it's not super necessary there. But um, the fact is, by it is possible to make a automated braking system in a manual transmission car, but you have to have a way to automate that clutch pedal and have the computer depress that clutch pedal and then stab the brakes in order to do the automated braking procedure. Um, and again, I'm not, I don't own any cars with automated braking. I've driven it, driven them. I've tried to deliberately like freak out the automated braking off road and you can do it. And it's really 
I don't personally, I don't like them. But the fact is governments are wanting to regulate this stuff and say that you have to have automated braking. And manufacturers are going to say, well, we have this complicated mechanism that we can automate the brakes and then we have to automate the clutch and then we have to like have the clutch disengage and like start again. You know, no, the problem is it's possible, but it's expensive. And manufacturers who are, you know, they got these bean counters that, you know, the, the car manufacturers who, you know, track every like tenth of a penny and where that's going because over a million cars, that adds up to a lot of money. And uh, they're just going to say, no, that's too expensive. We already have the auto. Just do the auto. That's that's what I worry about killing the manual transmission uh, as opposed to like electric motors honestly killing it because the electric motors aren't going to kill the manual any more than the existence of the automatic transmission. Truly not. More people are going to buy autos anyway, and those people who are going to buy autos are going to buy electric cars, and that's no different. It's safety regulations that I believe will uh, be a, an, an existential threat to the, the manual transmission. So anyway, hey, coming up in the uh, last segment of the show, it's the last one, but it is a good one. I am going to be debunking a viral video uh, about traction, and this ties into all sorts of good technical things about traction and winter driving, and you're really going to enjoy this. You want to stick around. That's coming up. Every day, thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve Turbocharged BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd, and I bought a rotary. It's okay, bro. We'll uh, swap it. But no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. For as little as $5 per month, you can put an end to Project Car suffering and support your favorite podcast. Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Donate now and receive special perks. Sponsored by Autoholics Anonymous and the Speed Council. Yeah, here we are, rocking it for the third half of the show. It's the Automotive ADHD Show. My name is Matt West, here to talk to you about cars. Those car sounds are from Devin and his freshly LS-swapped Volvo 240 sedan. Oh, my God. That thing is amazing, by the way. Like, imagine putting an LS in anything, and then you put it in a brick. Like, the Volvo 240 has the same aerodynamic properties as as a freaking brick, I swear. And you put a big engine in it, and it sounds really cool, and it's really fun. And, uh, yeah, no one's... You're going to be driving along in a car that looks like it's owned by a old professor. Except you have an LS, and no one's going to expect that. Which is very cool. So, uh, very, very cool build. Very cool stuff right there. Now, speaking uh, of some electronic stuff, uh, you know, I was talking about electric cars in the last segment... And on that topic still, there is a viral video of a, uh, and it's it's just gaining more and more views. I've seen it shared on a bunch of different pages I'm on, and uh, it's a Tesla Model 3 versus a Jeep Gladiator, and it's a man, some YouTuber, I've never heard of him, but he's demonstrating the alleged superiority of the Tesla going up a icy hill, a hill just basically made of complete black ice. And uh, I have to admit, and if you want to see the video, I will link it on the Facebook page, uh, but I would say it is um, totally wrong and somewhat uninformed about how traction works. And I also think totally biased as well. And I've heard people sharing this and talking about it like, whoa, Tesla's very good. And I'm not going to argue 
first, firstly, I'm not going to argue that the Tesla didn't do a good job. It clearly did. But I do believe the uh, testing circumstances were deliberately weighted against the Jeep. And, you know, I got pretty passionate about these Jeeps, having owned a few of them. But <laughs> I digress. I won't let that bias cloud my judgment here. Um, and uh, basically what it boils down to when you're going up an icy hill, it's all about weight distribution and traction. And uh, traction is very important, and that can be dictated by uh, all-wheel drive, four-wheel drive. Uh, it can also be dictated by your tires, but also the weight of your car pressing down on those tires, the actual surface area and contact area. And that's why the weight distribution is also important. Is the weight all, all over the front? Is the weight all over the back? Is the weight somewhere in the middle? It's important. And also in a gas car, at least, we talked about gearing in that last segment. That plays a role in this. Now, what this gentleman did on YouTube... His name is Tommy, and what he did is he took his Tesla Model 3 and parked it on an icy incline, the same icy incline, and went to a complete stop and then started up the hill from a complete stop. And the Tesla just went up it very uneventfully, no wheel spin, which is very impressive. You know, I'm, I'm not here to bash necessarily on Teslas. I do... I, you know, I have a mixed bag of feelings on them. There's a lot of things I don't like about them, but I cannot argue their... Uh, some of the practicality in some cases and also some of their performance. Uh, you know, Tesla has uh, also done a thing. They've built a very, very compelling car for a lot of people, and there's something to be respected about that. Uh, that said, this test, a little wonky. He parks his Tesla on there, complete stop, goes up, no wheel spin. Then he takes a Jeep SUV. I'm saying that in air quotes because uh, he refers to it as an SUV, even though it's actually a pickup truck. It's a Jeep Gladiator, not an SUV version, but okay, all right, whatever. Uh, that does matter in this case, though, because that changes how the weight distribution of the vehicle works. Um, and uh, now he took that Jeep Gladiator, pulled it up onto the same hill, stopped midway on the hill and then tried to get back up and it was all wheel spinning the jeep slid back down the hill and he said there you go the tesla did better but this is where i have issues with it he showed some of his extra testing process which you can see in the video he puts the jeep into and this is where i have issues he puts the jeep into four-wheel drive four-wheel drive high he says i'm just gonna put it into four-wheel drive high because i'm a simple man and then he quotes he said quote simple man uh and then he turns on the differential lockers and the differential lockers uh long story short those make sure all the wheels are spinning at the same speed and not as a differential where you have one wheel that can spin at a different speed a differential speed from the other wheel but uh that's a whole nother how differentials work it's fascinating that's a topic for another day that's also a tough topic to describe over an audio format at the very least but it is possible but anyway turns the diff locks on and then proceeds to make a tight turn with the diff locks on and if you know anything about how diff locks work you don't then try to turn because when you make a turn the diff locks are locked and the wheels are spinning at the same rate and the wheel on the inside of the turn needs to spin at a different rate than the wheel on the outside. Whatever. That's just demonstrating his mechanical knowledge of how these systems work. There's a reason he probably owns a Tesla. Anyway, um, so uh, the weight distribution, by the way, of that Jeep is uh, pretty biased towards the front. It's a front engine four-wheel drive vehicle with a pickup bed and then people have known for decades that pickup trucks are inherently light in the rear end which can cause some interesting handling characteristics and slippery conditions 
the Tesla, of course, has a perfect 50-50 weight distribution with the battery pack between the two axles, front and rear. Um, it's a very, very good weight distribution. Tesla got that very right. Uh, that's something that even modern sports cars uh, have challenges replicating is that weight distribution. So, um, But the main problem I see with this test, without getting too much into a fanatical rant, is uh, A, he put the Jeep in four-wheel drive high and then engaged the lockers. And this is also uh, one of those things that he complained that the Jeep doesn't have precision control in the throttle. He put a little throttle in and the wheels just spun really fast because in the video, he clearly the wheels are spinning a lot faster on the Jeep than the Tesla, which just inched forward real slowly. Uh, and that's because he put it in four wheel drive high. The, the whole point of that is to not change the gear reduction from the standard uh, gearing you would have driving at a normal speed. If you put it into four wheel drive low range, you increase that gear reduction, um, thus allowing the wheels to spin at a lower rate with a higher effective torque, but also it gives you more precision control over that throttle. Um, that's evidenced by the fact if you've ever put a four-wheel drive vehicle in low range with a manual transmission and then just let the clutch out. No gas, nothing. A lot of most dedicated off-roaders will have enough gear reduction in the transfer case in low range, you can literally just let the clutch out without giving it any gas and it won't stall and it'll just crawl forward like like an inch every just a second, just real slow, just inching, inching forward, you know? And um, he didn't do that and says, well, there's too much wheel spin. You can't control the throttle. Okay, he put it in four-wheel drive high. That's why. Uh, also, I looked into this further because, of course, I did. It's my duty as a well-informed talk show host here. Um, I read the owner's manual for that Jeep Wrangler or the Jeep Gladiator Rubicon. And uh, when you engage the four wheel drive high system, it also disengages the traction control by default because, in most cases, especially getting out of a slicker scenario where you don't need four wheel drive, sometimes that wheel spin, especially in mud and deeper snow, that actual that wheel spin is going to be beneficial to you. Uh, and then, especially, you engage the lockers, you engage the four wheel drive high. That disengages the traction control completely. And uh, this gentleman, uh, Tommy is his name, uh, com commended the Tesla. His concluding thoughts in the video that the Tesla was so superior because of its superior traction control and the Jeep traction control was not up to the task. That's because he had it off completely. Now, you can go in and re-enable that, but by default, if you just do that, it's off by default. And it was in four-wheel drive high, which is not a comparable test because the Tesla and its lowest speed crawl is completely equivalent to what the Jeep would have done had it been in low-range four-wheel drive. Low-range. Um, and uh, now... All of this argument, this whole 10 minutes of arguing here about this, I'm basically arguing with myself. I'm just subjecting you to this argument. But the whole thing here is apples and oranges because the Jeep and the Tesla were on different tires. That makes or breaks it. Honestly, your uh, characteristics of the vehicle, the weight distribution, you know, the Tesla's got good weight distribution. It did good. But also the Jeep, you know, being a gas vehicle with a transfer case and four-wheel drive and not being used correctly, um, none of that matters if you have terrible tires and he said the tires on the jeep were winter tires which in fact they were really like all-terrain tires and the tesla though was on all season tires but on a car a low profile car tire it's apples and oranges honestly we could argue you know up and down i could argue till i'm blue in the face about the dynamics of the different vehicles and the different characteristics of the drivetrains and all of it is a completely irrelevant point if the tires aren't 
the same. And, uh, you know, you could argue that the Jeep weighs 4,500 to 5,000 pounds, depending on the trim, and the Tesla weighs 4,200 pounds. They weigh the same, but the Jeep had wider tires, different contact patch. No, it doesn't matter. If you don't have the same tires, it's apples and oranges in this case. And, uh, you know, and, and you can't expect the same tires to exist on the Jeep that do on the Tesla. The Tesla's got, you know, low profile car tires. The Jeep's got big honking off-road tires with huge sidewalls. So, um, but yeah, there you go. Look, it's a flawed test in my opinion. And uh, namely because of this gentleman's um, knowledge or lack thereof of how the uh, four-wheel drive system works on the Jeep. I would argue here so much so that um, I could replicate this test and get a completely different result. The Tesla would do very well. We know it does well, but actually using the four-wheel drive system correctly on the Jeep, um, that makes that would make a much bigger difference there and would actually, I think, yield practically the same result. And um, I could, you know, I could replicate this, actually. I have a family member who has a Tesla Model 3 uh, on snow tires, and uh, I have my recently purchased Tacoma, which would be a good pickup truck example, and also $800 Stroker Jeep, which would show the example of the weight distribution differences between a dedicated off-roader versus a pickup truck, which the weight distribution of the little short stubby Jeep is actually going to be a lot better than a pickup truck with a long bed and no weight over the back. But I could trounce all of those vehicles, the Tesla, the Tacoma, $800 Stroker Jeep, trounce them all in the Honda S2000 on studded snow tires, which I have, just to prove that honestly what matters when it comes to winter driving is your snow tires listen to my show about snow tires a couple weeks back i had obd1 kenobi the mechanic brian uh on the show to talk about this as well and the importance about snow tires to recap that a little bit is you can stop and turn better with snow tires uh as well it's not just about accelerating from a stopped position on a hill uh it's all about the dynamics of stopping and turning and having that better traction all the way around the car is going to make you have a much better time in the snow than even if you have all-wheel drive and terrible tires. So there you go. There you go. Maybe I'll do I'll do that video. I'll see if I can orchestrate that. I just got to compare those vehicles. I got to wait for more snow, which that's not very hard to do here in Colorado. So, hey, look forward to that onto the Facebook page, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. When I do it, I'll post it there. And I uh, want to thank you, by the way, for listening to this very opinionated edition of the show. What can I say? I, I get fired up when I start talking about, you know, electric cars versus gas cars and stuff. I'm clearly, I clearly have a little bit of a bias towards the gas ones. What, what can I say? Now, hey, you could subscribe to this fine podcast or... Well, that, that might be saying a little bit much, but you could subscribe to it where other fine podcasts are downloaded. And I want to thank all 13 people who gave this show a five-star rating on Spotify. Truly, from the bottom of my heart, I'm honored that you enjoyed the show so much. And I, I look at it this way. I would rather have 10 people who really enjoy the show than a million people listening who are just kind of meh, whatever. So, uh, and if you haven't given the show a rating yet, feel free to do that on Spotify. It does help out Spotify's algorithm and how it promotes different things. So just merely doing that is fantastic. But if you would like to support the show further, you can do that on Patreon, patreon.com slash throttle warrior. Get early access to the show as well. And, uh, and if you're in Southern Colorado, remember to catch it Saturday mornings, 10.30 a.m., 91.7 KLZR. And I will see you... Same time, same place, next week, when I get into the mech, even though I really don't want to. See you then.